You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of Exodus. Here's Nate. Well, in Exodus chapter 39, we have the record of Bezalel and Aholiab and their comrades building and creating and crafting the garments for the priests. And of course, this isn't the first time that we'll see a description of these garments. God had already mentioned these previously, but now this is a description of the fact that they had actually gone through with the creation of these garments. And it's repeated twice for us here in the book of Exodus. It seems repetitious to us, but then when we pause to consider that this must be important in the mind of God, partly because this is ministry unto the Lord, and when we minister to the Lord, we are at our best. God is showing us our need to prioritize worship. So verse 1, from the blue and purple and scarlet yarns, they, being Bezalel and his comrades, made finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place. They made the holy garments for Aaron, as the Lord had commanded Moses. So they would wear these garments. Notice what they're for, verse 1, for ministering in the holy place. Now, who were they ministering to? Well, they were ministering on behalf of the nation to the Lord. They were serving God. And so just a beautiful picture there. Now, of course, Jesus is our great high priest, but of a different order, the order of Melchizedek. In one sense, you could say these priests were a great picture of what God desires for us. We are in the New Testament economy called to serve the Lord as priests. Revelation 1 verse 6, he made us a kingdom, priests to God and our Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 1 Peter 2 verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So there's actually much to learn about serving the Lord by observing the garments of the high priest or the priestly system back in the Old Testament era. These were holy garments, by the way, verse 1. We don't take the ministry lightly, and neither did they. Now, in verse 2, it says that he made the ephod of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. So the same materials that were used in the building of the tabernacle, which points to Christ, would be used in the priestly garments. In other words, just an extension. We're an extension of Jesus himself, the body of Christ. And they hammered out, verse 3, gold leaf, and he cut it into threads to work into the blue and purple and scarlet yarns and into the fine twined linen in skilled designs. So actually embedding, embroidering gold into this garment for the priest. They made for the ephod, verse 4, attaching shoulder pieces joined to it at its 
two edges, and the skillfully woven band on it was of one piece with it, and made like it of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, as the Lord had commanded Moses. They made the onyx stones, and clothed in settings of gold filigree, and engraved like the engravings of a signet, according to the names of the sons of Israel. And he set them, with these names, on the shoulder pieces of the ephod, to be stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel, as the Lord had commanded Moses. So it meant that, of course, here the priests would carry the names of the tribes on their shoulders, indicating, you know, that the proper way to serve the Lord is to have on your shoulders a burden for God's people and to carry them before the Lord. I'm always struck by the prayer life of Paul the Apostle. He was just always praying for people in the church, inside of the body of Christ. And I heard a man recently make the statement to the Lord, Lord, do not give me more ministry to do than my prayer life can handle. What an incredible challenge. Now, verse 8, he made the breast piece in skilled work, in the style of the ephod of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. It was square. So you have this breast piece that would go over the garments. They made the breast piece doubled, a span its length and a span its breadth when doubled, and they set it in it four rows of stones. A row of sargius, topaz, and carbuncle was the first row, and the second row an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond, and the third row a jacinth, an agate, an amethyst, and the fourth row a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They were enclosed in settings of gold filigree. There were twelve stones with their twelve names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They were like signets, each engraved with its name for the twelve tribes. So on the shoulders there would be the twelve names of the tribes of Israel. Here on the chest piece there would be twelve stones with twelve individual stones indicating the individual tribes. So just beautiful to think of these priests carrying the entire nation, but also the individuals inside of the nation on their hearts. And they made, verse 15, on the breastpiece, twisted chains like cords of pure gold. And they made two settings of gold filigree and two gold rings and put the two rings on the two edges of the breastpiece. And they put the two cords of gold and the two rings at the edges of the breastpiece they attached the two ends of the two cords to the two settings of filigree. Thus they attached it in front to the shoulder pieces of the ephod. Then they made two rings of gold and put them at the two ends of the breastpiece on its inside edge next to the ephod. And they made two rings of gold and attached them in front to the lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod at its seam above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And they bound the breastpiece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue so that it should lie on the skillfully woven band of the ephod and that the breastpiece should not come loose from the ephod as the Lord had commanded Moses. So this was a solidly and firmly placed breast or chest piece whereby the priests in Israel, especially the high priest, would be thinking of the people of Israel bearing them before 
the Lord. And of course, this ephod became a way for the people of Israel to actually seek the Lord. And at times it appears in the Old Testament, discern the will of the Lord. And so just a beautiful picture. Of course, in Isaiah 49, God declares of his people, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands, not just on my heart, not just wearing them on a breast piece, but engraved on the heart. This is the way that God operates in serving us. And so when we minister to each other, there should be a heart for one another, a true love for God's people. Now in verse 22, it says, He also made the robe of the ephod woven all of blue. And again, for some of the details of this, I'd encourage you to go backwards in our study of Exodus. This is the, the second time that we're coming across it. So we're taking it more lightly. But there was also this robe that they would wear. And the opening of the robe in it, verse 23, was like the opening in a garment with a binding around the opening so that it might not tear. On the hem of the robe, they made pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. So these ornamental decorative pomegranates. They also made bells of pure gold and put the bells between the pomegranates and all around the hem of the robe between the pomegranates, a bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate around the hem of the robe for ministering as the Lord had commanded Moses. And so just a very ornate robe that they would wear. The, the ephod that we previously looked at was made of gold, blue, purple, scarlet, and linen. But the robe underneath it was all blue. And so very interesting, just a color that would point them directly to heaven. But then attached to this robe were these ornamental pomegranates and bells. And the pomegranates, you know, that's a fruit. So that would suggest fruitfulness and service before the Lord. But the bells, as we've seen earlier, would suggest a joyfulness before the Lord. To serve the Lord with joyfulness and with fruitfulness. What a wonderful way to serve him. They also made the coats woven of fine linen for Aaron and his sons. And the turban of fine linen and the caps of fine linen, and the linen undergarments of fine twined linen, and the sash of fine twined linen, and of blue and purple and scarlet yarns, embroidered with needlework as the Lord had commanded Moses. So here you have the garments for just the ordinary priests, for Aaron and his sons, and also their undergarments, everything here made of linen. These coats woven of fine linen, the undergarments made of fine linen, which, you know, would keep their nakedness from being exposed while they serve the Lord and would also speak of a coolness in ministering to the Lord, a sweatless kind of ministry. And when you've got the Holy Spirit working in your life, you know, it's much more of a linen-like experience in serving the Lord, more sweatless than ever before. They made the plate, verse 30, of the holy crown of pure gold. There was this plate that would be worn on top of their hat that they would wear. And an inscription wrote on it, like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. This was called a holy crown previously. 
and they would walk around with this engraving engraved signet saying holy to the lord they tied it verse 31 to a cord of blue to fasten it on the turban above as the lord had commanded moses these men were to serve the lord as holy men set apart dedicated unto the lord unfortunately we so often cut corners when it comes to serving the lord when it comes to especially not just personal ministry to the Lord, but serving in an office in the body of Christ, the apostles and prophets, evangelists and pastors and teachers that Paul spoke of in Ephesians chapter four. It's less about your ability, less about even your calling, the qualifications that Paul mentioned, especially concerning pastors or elders, were character trait callings. They were looking for in Acts 6, men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes in the body of Christ, we fall in love with someone's talent, someone's gifting, someone's persuasiveness or zeal. And we forget the reality that when a person comes to Christ, they need to grow. They need to grow in maturity. They need to get victory over sin. They need to become mature. They need to be a good husband, a devoted believer. They need to be free of, you know, major disqualifying sin. They need to be a sanctified person and individual. And, and certainly that's communicated here as these priests wore a crown upon their head that said, holy to the Lord. Thus, verse 32, all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished and the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did very similar to when Noah built the ark. He did everything the Lord had commanded him. And here that's repeated here in verse 32. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its utensils, its hooks, its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases the covering of tanned ram skins and goat skins and the veil of the screen, the ark of the testimony with its poles and mercy seat, the table with all its utensils and the bread of the presence, the lampstand of pure gold and its lamps set and all its utensils and the oil for the light, the golden altar, verse 38, the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen for the entrance of the tent, the bronze altar. And it's grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, its cords and its pegs, and all the utensils for the service of the tabernacle for the tent of meeting. The finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments for his sons for their service as priests. According to all, verse 42, that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. As the Lord had commanded, so they had done it. Then Moses blessed them. So what a sense of accomplishment as they completed the construction of the tabernacle. Now the big question, of course, would be, We've built all of this. Will God inhabit this house? So the Lord, verse 1 of chapter 40, spoke to Moses saying, On the first day 
of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and you shall put in it the ark of the testimony, and you shall screen the ark with the veil, and you shall bring in the table and arrange it, and you shall bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps, and you shall put the golden altar for incense before the ark of the testimony, and set up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. You shall set the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. So outside of the tabernacle, the altar for burnt offering, and place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar, and put water in it, and you shall set up the court all around, and hang up the screen for the gate of the court. So here God tells Moses, listen, on the first day of the first month, you're going to set this tabernacle up. We haven't just created it. You didn't just build it to sit there in storage. It's time to use this thing and actually get down to the business of honoring and worshiping me. It's one thing to have prayer. It's one thing to have the word of God. It's another thing to use them to honor the Lord, to worship him. Then, verse 9, you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it and all its furniture so that it may become holy. You shall also anoint the altar a burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar so that the altar may become most holy. You shall anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate it. So, God tells Moses, he says, listen, you take that anointing oil, you've made it according to my prescription. I want you to take that anointing oil and now begin to, on that day, consecrate the furniture, consecrate the tabernacle. It will become holy. In other words, sanctified, set apart for God's use. It'll be used for nothing else, only the purpose of God. Anoint the altar, consecrate the altar. It'll all be holy, set apart unto the Lord and the basin, the stand, everything. But the anointing and the consecrating would not stop there. Verse 12, he says, Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water and put on Aaron the holy garments. And you shall anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them and anoint them as you anointed their father, that they may serve me as priests. And their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. And so the instruments in the tabernacle and the tabernacle itself were, were consecrated unto the Lord. But Aaron and his sons were also consecrated unto the Lord. They were set apart. They were set apart. There was no going back. This was their calling, their responsibility. They were all in, given completely unto the work of the Lord. Now, the interesting thing here is that this would be a very public event. This was Moses saying, listen, God has publicly declared that these men will operate in this capacity in serving the people. And it's important for us to, at times, publicly announce some person or some ministry that God has given to a person to put our hands on them, perhaps, and say, look, this person has been called by the Lord. 
and we see what God has done, we are consecrating them unto this particular task. This Moses did, verse 16, according to all that the Lord had commanded him, so he did. In the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. So in obedience, Moses got to this particular task of the Lord, erected the tabernacle, consecrated it. It says in verse 18, Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases and set up its frames and put in its poles and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark. These are the Ten Commandments. And put the poles on the ark and set the mercy seat above on the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil and arranged the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil and burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put in place the screen for the door of the tabernacle and he set the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. So he actually begins to institute the sacrificial system. He set, verse 30, the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing, with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they went into the tent of meeting, when they approached the altar, they washed, as the Lord commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court so Moses finished the work. Two things I'd like to point out here. It's a long paragraph, basically, where we're getting a description of all that Moses did, recounting each and every element, individual element of the tabernacle and all of its utensils and the courtyard and the altars that were attached to it. And the first thing I want you to see here is that all of it was done as the Lord had commanded Moses. That is the repeated phrase of verse 16 to 32. As the Lord commanded Moses. Moses did the things that the Lord commanded him to do. It sounds so simple, but it's so difficult. And so often in life, we think that we should do the things that our own heart is commanding us to do. And that would be a gross error. Oftentimes we think that we need to do what others have commanded us to do. And again, this would be a gross error. Now there are times we are to obey what's going on inside of our heart. There are times that we are to obey what others would tell us to do, but only when it falls in line with what the Lord has commanded us. We are never to violate his clear command to us in his word. 
And so here's Moses doing the very thing that God had commanded him to do. The second thing I want to point out from this paragraph is that it ends at the end of verse 33 with this very simple sentence. So Moses finished the work. The Bible says in Proverbs that a desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. You know, Moses was one of these men who would actually finish the thing that God had asked him to do. He wasn't a starter who would eventually stop. He was a man who started and would finish. There's a huge difference between starting and stopping and starting and finishing. Oh, we need more finishers in the body of Christ. More men and women who will take that task to the bitter end, getting the job accomplished, getting the job done. That was Moses. Moses finished that work. He would not stop until it had been accomplished. You see that in the life of men like Paul the Apostle. I have a course in front of me. I have a race in front of me. And I know that I am going to run that race with endurance until the Lord brings me to that finish line. We need more finishers and less stoppers. Serving the Lord to the end of your days. So Moses finished the work. What a beautiful sentence. What a beautiful word. Then in verse 34, to finish the book of Exodus, again, the question would be, well, hey, after we've gone through all of this, we've received all of these commandments, we know that the Lord you know, re-communicated his covenant with us. We know that we're his covenant people, but still, you know, we did blow it greatly by worshiping the golden calf. Will all of this work? Will the Lord show up? Is all of this a cruel joke? Remember, this is a nation in its infancy. They had come from Egypt. They had seen the worship of false gods. Now they're seeing and hearing and learning how the real true God of heaven is to be worshipped. And so what will happen? Will God show up? Will God receive our sacrifices? Well, it says in verse 34 that then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle the people of israel would set out they would follow this cloud but if the cloud was not taken up they did not set out till the day that it was taken up for the cloud of the lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of israel throughout all their journeys Praise God, the glory of the Lord, the presence of the Lord showed up there in the tabernacle, upon the tabernacle, and at the center of the nation. And from that day forward, the people would wait for the Lord to move. If the Lord moved, if the cloud moved, if the glory of the Lord moved, they would follow. But if it stayed, they would remain. They would stay. They would sit tight and wait for the leading of the Lord. But wonderful, number one, to see the glory of the Lord coming upon the tabernacle. Everything had been done correctly. They were worshiping 
in a biblical sense. And when you worship in a biblical way, where your heart is free of sin, you've repented and confessed and all known sin is cast down before the Lord and you're covered by the blood of Jesus, you worship in a biblical way, God will show up. But secondly, oh, to be led by the Lord, to have the Lord leading us, directing us, taking us from one camp to the next camp, to, for the Lord to be the one to decide when we move and when we stop. And the nation of Israel was led by the Lord. And by God's grace, let us be led by the Lord as well. And to see his glory shining in, upon, and through our lives as we worship him in a biblical way. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.